are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Good sleep. It's so important, yet so elusive. How can we safely help our patients get adequate sleep? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and with me today is Dr. Nancy Foltveri, Director and Section Head of the Sleep Disorder Center at the Neuroscience Institute of the Cleveland Clinic. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Foltveri. Thank you. When we have patients who have sleep disorders, we often start with certain behavioral things that uh, we call sleep hygiene. Is that really an important component of treatment? Well, good sleep hygiene is probably the most important component of treatment, and many patients will have their disorder significantly improved or corrected completely if they can just adhere to healthy sleep habits. And, uh, you know, they, they want a, a pill, they want something quick. Are there particular parts of the sleep hygiene regimen that you would emphasize that might show some benefit promptly? Well, there are some. And then, as you suggest, there are others that require more motivation and persistence and take some time to really learn how to adapt well. And when we offer these to patients, immediately you know, many patients will respond negatively and say, well, I've tried that before, and they're not interested in trying it again. So when we talk about sleep hygiene and then other types of therapy, such as cognitive behavioral therapy, typically we're realizing that all patients are not going to accept all of these measures, and, and often patients just have to find a few tidbits that they are comfortable using and that work for them. Uh, but among all of the options in terms of sleep hygiene, uh, if people will just maintain regular sleep and wake cycles, so go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time, uh, that's not too cumbersome for people to do, and that's really very useful uh, in treating insomnia so that you're not in a situation where patients are going to bed at variable times, and that invariably will lead to more sleep disruption. Uh, also, if people can uh, cut out caffeine, alcohol, even smoking uh, within several hours of sleep time, uh, that helps significantly. Some people can't do that very easily, but those are relatively easy places to start. And a common pattern that I see, I'm, I'm sure it's common everywhere, Doc, I, I catch up on my sleep on the weekend. That should be discouraged, I guess. Well, yes and no. Uh, most people with insomnia actually never really catch up or don't feel that they catch up. And so if somebody really catches up on the weekend, I'd be more suspicious that they get themselves almost volitionally sleep-deprived, you know, because of work, work or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that situation, it's, it's fine to, to try to catch up on the weekends. We really never truly catch up on the sleep that we lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people with insomnia won't sleep more, but they may lay in bed more. And laying in bed awake is a really bad thing to do because it reinforces a lot of negative associations about sleep. And that can lead to um, an exacerbation of the underlying disorder just walk into the bedroom and, oh, no, it's going to be another one of those nights. Uh, exactly. So the worst insomniacs that will come will be dreading nighttime. They just dread nighttime. And by mid-afternoon or early evening, they're already thinking about, how am I going to function tomorrow because I know I'm not going to sleep well tonight. And so uh, part of cognitive behavioral therapy and stressing the importance of good sleep hygiene is to uh, begin to undo those negative sleep associations and begin to train the brain to rethink about sleep and, and the sleep environment as a positive experience. That, that's very interesting to me. You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Nancy Foldveri, who is the director and section head of the Sleep Disorder Center at the Neuroscience Institute and Women's Health Center at the Cleveland Clinic. We are discussing uh, insomnia and 
you've mentioned the cognitive behavioral therapy. Can you tell us more about that? Well, cognitive behavioral therapy really encompasses several different types of strategies that typically are provided to a patient uh, either by a sleep expert or a psychologist. And it's, it truly is therapy. Most patients will require repeated visits, sort of like psychotherapy, in order to identify the techniques that best work for them. These are basically different types of strategies that try to get the patient to change their strange or dysfunctional beliefs and attitudes about their negative sleep, and also to reduce the tension that occurs in people at night who aren't sleeping. Uh, many patients will get very anxious once they've gotten into a cycle of insomnia and even have you know, sweating and palpitations at night and work themselves up into almost a panic attack mm -hmm. uh, for fear of not sleeping at night. So be working to change that anxiety, that negative attitude to a positive attitude, work on relaxation. Are there specific techniques that are often employed? There are a variety of different techniques. The relaxation therapy is, is one of them. So it, our sleep technologist will train patients on how to do progressive muscle relaxation, exactly how do you relax, provide them with deep breathing exercises, sometimes use guided imagery, meditation. Uh, and, and again, all patients won't take well to all of these things, and people typically walk away with a couple different strategies that they feel comfortable with. We're increasingly using a biofeedback in our uh, sleep center, which is a more direct way of the patient recognizing their degree of anxiety. And then while they're attached to the electrodes, actually able to employ some of these techniques such as deep breathing and progressive muscle relaxation and actually uh, be able to see what the response is in terms of their reduced anxiety levels. And that's very effective. It sounds like this would be wonderful, not just for sleep, but for other stressful situations. It is. I think in psychiatry, uh, these kinds of techniques have been used for other applications as well. And in fact, in the sleep center, we're now using some of these strategies, particularly biofeedback, to get people over the anxiety involved in wearing CPAP, you know, the mask device that we use for sleep apnea, which often requires a lot of coaching and uh, getting used to. You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Nancy Foldvery from the Cleveland Clinic about insomnia and ways to help patients who have this very common disorder. How successful is cognitive behavioral therapy? Has it been looked at uh, in an objective way? It has been looked at, but there certainly is much more that needs to be done in terms of research. But there have been a couple of fairly large studies that have compared the use of cognitive behavioral therapy with traditional hypnotic type medication with a combination of the two. And in several recent studies that I'm aware of, those basically found that patients receiving cognitive behavioral therapy, whether alone or with a hypnotic, uh, typically did much better long-term than those who were receiving hypnotics alone. Uh, and, and that's typically how we try to practice uh, here in our sleep center, because one more prescription is often going to get the same response that past prescriptions have. It may work for a short period of time, uh, but essentially it, people escalate and, and need something else. And there's really nothing like just getting down to correcting the dysfunctional beliefs that people tend to have about insomnia, as well as correcting the poor sleep habits that people adopt. By the time a patient comes in to us for help with insomnia, they've often tried some of the over-the-counter preparations. How do you feel about some of those? Well, none of those have been studied really rigorously, uh, scientifically. 
And I think probably a lot of people who never make their way to the sleep center use these, things like valerian and uh, melatonin. We use a little bit of melatonin in the sleep center, but typically I don't recommend, I don't prescribe them myself. Uh, I, don't, I think there are some issues with, uh, with safety that haven't been fully explored. And generally, all the patients we see clearly would benefit from some sort of non-pharmacological therapy, whether it's simple sleep hygiene instruction or something like cognitive behavioral therapy. So increasingly, we're trying to refer patients or get patients engaged to, in order to get some of those types of therapies initiated before we'll use uh, any type of uh, medication. medication. And uh, are there, in our society, we want to take that pill and make it easy. Are there ways that we can uh, encourage patients to have the wherewithal to give cognitive behavioral therapy a try? I th- you know, there are many patients that come and they're really not interested in any more medications because they've had enough and they feel that they've tried enough over-the-counter drugs and they're not sure that they really want to try prescription drugs, particularly with the potential for side effects. And so there's a good subset of patients who are really coming uh, for more cognitive behavioral type of instruction. Uh, but I must say that some of these therapies really take uh, a motivated patient to, um, to work successfully. And so the person who comes in the office and immediately just wants uh, another prescription sometimes needs a lot of uh, coaxing uh, to get them engaged uh, in treatment. And setting expectations and uh, educating them about what really might be causing their problem, I imagine. Right. And some of the behavioral instruction that we provide to people initially, I think, probably makes them feel worse than better. For example, we, we ask people to follow this 20-minute toss-and-turn rule. So if, if you go in bed and you are not asleep and it's 20 minutes has passed, you need to get out of bed because lying in bed and letting your brain, you know, your your thoughts just kind of flow and starting to ruminate about it and worry about it is very counterproductive and it just feeds the insomnia cycle. But to get out of bed and go into a different room and wait until you're sleepy again and get back in bed, which is really what you need to do to make it work, um, initially causes people more distress, I think. Mm -hmm. And so it requires, I think, appropriate timing. Uh, For example, many employed people, I wouldn't recommend that they, you know, start this in the middle of their work week. And sometimes we actually introduce some of these techniques either on the weekends or when they're on a vacation or, or let them try them sporadically initially, because I think that they tend to not be uh, very successful if, if you have very high expectations of everyone up front. Take some time to change these beliefs and behaviors that are well ingrained. Absolutely. You've mentioned that several sessions may be necessary to learn some of the cognitive behavioral techniques. Is there a number, that an average number that a patient needs to attend? Well, there really are very few uh, programs in this country that have established um, cognitive behavioral therapy sessions like this. Our psychologists in our sleep center will tend to see patients more frequently in the beginning, perhaps once a month, and at each visit introduce another technique and sort of reassess how well someone's doing with the one that was introduced the last visit. Uh, And some patients choose to do one or two visits and probably benefit enough and get enough information to be able to uh, find something that works. And other patients will come for a series of maybe six or eight visits. And then a smaller number really, I think, develop a good rapport with the psychologist and actually continue on as if they're doing any other form of you know, psychotherapy. 
So I think it varies. It's very individualized. And and would you recommend this be done in the context of a, a sleep center, or are there people who may not have that specific designation who could be helpful in this regard? Well, there are probably certainly psychologists, many psychologists around who are very familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, to different degrees and are comfortable employing different types of of techniques. Uh, There are also probably many sleep centers that really don't have this as part of the service they offer because it's relatively new and it does require additional training. And but tertiary care sleep centers probably offer some type of therapy in this in this regard. I want to thank Dr. Nancy Foldberry, who has been with us from the Cleveland Clinic today as we've been discussing the approach to insomnia. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.